Welcome back to the Gillette Health Podcast, where we give you tools to develop a balanced approach for health. I'm Dr. Kyle Gillette. And I'm James O'Hara, nurse practitioner. And today we're talking about the lean mass hyperresponder study preliminary data. Mm-hmm. So nothing has been published yet officially as far as I know, but this popped up on Twitter and we got a lot of people sending us messages and questions, and I think it is approaching a million views at this point. So hopefully that helps the algorithm. Break down what is available to us and then anticipate more comprehensive data in the future. So what's the the title of the study to get us started off? The title is Carbohydrate Restriction Induced Elevations in LDL, Cholesterol, and Atherosclerosis. uh, Oh, how nice. Keto trial. But isn't the acronym supposed to involve the like words of the study somehow? No, yeah, I guess you can do whatever you want. Well, and I know some of the aficionados out there are already furious because they use the phrase LDL cholesterol because it's not know, cholesterol; it's LDLs or lipoproteins that carry cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really harp on that. It's not. It's more a matter of you know, pedantics, terminology. If you're in lipidology circles, maybe you get laughed at. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't really matter for the purposes of that. I just had to poke some fun at it. People know that we've uh, kind of reacted to these preliminary data sets before and know there's not a lot of substance because the analogy we make is this kind of like pre-release of data before publishing is like a movie trailer. So you think of movie trailers these days, they have all the good parts of the movie in the trailer, none of the bad parts. Um, and every movie will look amazing if you watch the, watch the trailer. So I think we talked about the premium data for uh, RU58841. We also talked about it for one of the drugs. There's KX the prolactin. Yeah, the prolactin receptor antagonist. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. But anyway, this is essentially the movie trailer for this study, which... We will do another podcast on when um, the full data set comes out. Yeah. So they have their objectives here. Um, basically, the short version is they want to evaluate plaque progression in patients who have a substantially elevated LDL after they start a ketogenic or carbohydrate-restricted diet. And the cutoff they're using is an LDL-C greater than 190 milligrams per deciliter. Mm-hmm. So they've got their baseline characteristics. Um, and I think it's a good thing that they're using the CCTA and yep. geography uh, versus just using a calcium score. Uh, there's a paper that they cite later on in this presentation that just used calcium scores and yep. gives some data, but not it, not what you would like to see. Especially not to, for, yeah, especially not for patients that are 50 years old. Yeah, in a very short timeline, this is just going to be a one-year study to start. I, I don't know if that can change if funding uh, arrives, but uh, that's basically the, the short version of what they're looking at. So then, well, what is a lean mass hyperresponder? Um, the lean portion of that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Nope. Looking at the, there was a previous paper in 2021 or 2022, and if you take the time and actually go to the supplemental data, a lot of the patients in this study, uh, I think three of the males in the study had a body fat percent between 20 and 25 percent, yep. which is quite unlean. So if I was setting a cutoff here, I would say 15 percent and under for males, 23 percent and under for females. Um, a lot of the females are quite lean. So it's it's odd that their leanness is the same or similar for males and females. It just doesn't make sense. 
I could probably put myself in this category. I think I was fourteen uh, percent my last uh, Dexa. Dexa scan. But a lot of the ways that they use is bioimpedance. So you know, I I know how to alter the data to make both DEXAs and bioimpedance look really good or really bad. And yes, I've had patients get both a in-body, which is kind of like one of the better bioimpedance. Again, see research for Dr. Grant Tinsley, PhD. Um, that's kind of like the leader in the research for different um, body fat, body composition analyses. Mm. But yeah, they can get them uh, weeks apart and there's a 10% difference. So uh, you know that there's uh, bioimpedance is not a great way. And most often I see bioimpedance say that people are at a lower body fat than they actually are. Yeah, I, I don't think they actually mentioned body composition in this study, uh, but definitely in a previous, yeah, a, previous, a previous studies, studies on, on lean mass hyper responders. So I guess on that note, um, when you're on your keto diet, you're supposed to have an LDL 190 or greater. Um, if I'm eating relatively low carb, but not certainly not keto, certainly not 30 grams of carbs per day or less, mm -hmm. then my LDL will certainly go up to 190 if I don't do anything about it. And then HDL of greater than 80, triglycerides of less than 70. Yeah, so I guess we can skip ahead and add BMI into that mix. Um, so the BMI median for this study was 22.5. So that BMI throws out over 70% of the population to start with. Yep. Um, what do we think about these HDL and triglyceride numbers? I mean, it's exceedingly rare to see an HDL that high. I mean, maybe... 1% in our patient population, uh, triglycerides below 70. That's a little bit more common in our patient population because we do yep. have a good number of people that are very, very common to see that. Very metabolically healthy. If you're supplementing with omegas, especially EPA, that'll drive down trigs a bit more, but mostly just exercise. Mm -hmm. um, your trigs will be lower depending on your um, genotypes. That's one of the major drivers of whether or not triglycerides run high or carbs. But yeah, presumably if you have trigs less than 70, you're exercising fairly frequently. Yeah, and this is specifically, they did genotyping of all these patients, made sure that it's not familial hypercholesterolemia. They didn't have the SNPs associated with that. This mm -hmm. is something that is specifically diet-induced, and there's not a known mutation yet. Mm -hmm. yeah, emphasis on yet, because these things are coming out all the time. But, I mean, the percent of the population that has all, let's just call these the big three. So let's just say normal BMI, um, HDL over 80, triglycerides below 70. Um, I would guess 1% of the population, and that's being a bit generous. Yep. Uh, maybe we can look up how many people have an HDL above 80. Yeah, uh, that's what I was wondering. Probably not many. I think I could meet all of the other criteria, but I don't think that I could get my HDL over 80, even if I was taking niacin and zetamib and, and whatever else. Uh, but yeah, even my BMI, their BMI cutoff was at less than 25. Mine would be 27. But you're leaner than some of the lean mass hyper-responders in previous studies, which is interesting. Yeah. So that's this slide. Uh, it's not FH, so that's something they did control for. It's not genetic, not something that they've had elevations of lifelong. Mm -hmm. It's specifically diet-induced. And I... I think they recruited 100 and then were able to match 80, or maybe they weren't able to get to the whole 100 patients. Um, another author well, was going to be a co-author involved in the study, was yep. uh, raised some concerns and is no longer involved, said they had a hard time and took longer to recruit than they anticipated because a lot of people were like, oh yeah, I'm a lean mass hyper responder. 
And then it turns out these people are actually not all that healthy, but they think that they are. Yep. Um, and that's sort of getting at the broader interpretation of this as it's racking up views and I'm sure news outlets will be picking it up. That should probably be the main takeaway. If you think you're a lean mass hyperresponder, get a clearly CCTA, go see a physician, get your DEXA scan, see what your body fat is, see what your visceral body fat is. It also looks like they ended up using an HDL above 60, which I could certainly meet if, uh, if I tried. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And the triglycerides below 80, which is not the 70 figure. Yep. So got to make it a little easier. Yeah. Blurred the lines a little bit there. Um, so they, they matched, them, a, matched them to the Miami heart study patients. Uh, diet was less than 30 grams of carb per day. And they did confirm circulating ketone bodies. So they didn't just pick somebody that said, oh, yeah, I'm keto. But they weren't mm -hmm. actually in ketosis. So that's another thing they controlled for. They were drinking heart ketones. You could have fooled the test, perhaps, by drinking hard ketones. Yeah, more on that later. Um, but yeah, it's good that they match them um, with the uh, other data set. Yeah, so then their primary analysis were total plaque score, total stenosis score, and segment involvement score. Um, hmm. Total plaque score, total stenosis score, segment involvement score. These are things that I still see published in, you know, like, cardiology and lipidology literature. Yeah. But in clinical practice, they've been sort of overtaken by the CADRADS guidelines. Yeah. Um, so you get consistent interpretation of CCTAs and appropriate management steps. So maybe someone in a lipidology clinic would be more familiar with this if there's a, a lipidology textbook that has these definitions. Um, I would love to see it, but I, I really don't know what to make of this data aside from the calcium scores, which we'll get to later. Because the total stenosis score does not seem to be uh, an actual CADRAT score. I saw something yep. where it's like rated on a 1 to 68 score or something like that. Yeah, so it's, it's kind of um, data like this would be particularly pertinent for an older patient population. Um, calcium scores too. But if you think about um, a cardiologist practice in general, you're thinking about doing stress tests for people that are medium to medium high risk of an MI. You're not mm -hmm. thinking about uh, someone between the age of 40 and 50 as often, perhaps more 50 to 55. I think their average age was 55. Yeah, 55 mm -hmm. and a half was the average age. So that means that there's a lot of people in this study that were in their 40s. And you're going to expect significantly lower risk scores, lower CADRADS scores in those situations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the interesting things is that they've been on this ketogenic diet for almost five years. So <clears throat> presumably they've been sticking to this diet or eating very similarly. Perhaps things shuffle around around the holidays. For most people, that is the case. Uh, but it looks like they've been on a keto diet for about five years. And their takeaway here, this is sort of you know cutting the chase results and then diving deeper into the methods mm -hmm. and factors. But there was not a difference in the plaque burden. So the answer is not that there was no plaque burden. Um, people seem to have misconstrued the actual results. Um, but there was not a difference in the plaque burden compared to similarly aged people in the Miami Heart Control Group. So it, what they're saying is the LDL was not correlated with the amount of plaque. So here we have the calcium score. And we can go ahead and go to that table there. Um, and it's interesting the way that they broke this up. So they have their median 
first, which is zero. <clears throat> so most of the people out of this 80 that got calcium scores had zero. And then they used interquartile range as yeah. opposed to a total range. Not a fan of these statistics. It'll be particularly interesting to look at the data of all four quartiles. So I think what they did here is they took the middle two quartiles of both groups, the keto group and the Miami heart group, and they basically used just those for analysis, almost as if you would take out the outliers that are, you know, a certain amount of standard deviation away. There's ways to, to calculate if something is an outlier or not, except they took half their study and said, these are outliers. We're not going to put them in the table. Yeah, in the table. They are still in the study, to be clear. And hopefully, whenever this is published, it'll be in the supplementary data so I can go and look and see what was that absolute highest calcium score that someone in this study had. Was it a calcium score of 400? Now, we don't know. Um, but... The 75th percentile would be a, a calcium score of 56, which if you're age 55, that, that's something that you should take into some consideration. I would mm -hmm. probably be concerned about that. So that's probably the most useful piece of data because, yep. I mean, total stenosis score, total plaque score. When I was thinking that, oh, maybe this correlates with CADRADS because CADRADS goes off of stenosis, mm -hmm. I was thinking, wow, they have people that are, you know, a CADRADS of three, which would be greater than 50% stenosis. But I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think ethically they could run the study in that manner. Yeah, I doubt the stenosis score is a CADRADS, but it would be a much better way to analyze this if they had it. Yeah, and I'm sure they can do that. I mean, they have 80 CCTA scans. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe we just jump over to talking about clearly, like we mentioned earlier, what would be the advantage of, well, one, going from a stenosis score that clinicians probably don't know what to make of uh, to a CADRADS, and then the advantage of jumping from the CADRADS to a clearly analysis. Clearly to a CADRADS, CADRADS similar to BIRADS or PADRA, uh, PIRADS. PIRADS is for prostate, prostate cancer. BIRADS is for uh, breast cancer screening. And uh, it's a clinically validated tool to where you know if you do this and you go by the um, recommended management for people of certain CADRADS scores, you have less cardiac events. Yes, yeah, that makes yeah, it quite that's, simple. <laughs> that's, that's the most simple way, but uh, kind of to explain it a bit um, more complicated, we'll put up a chart that has uh, CADRAD scores and what they're correlated yeah. with here later. Yeah. Let's just let's jump to, let's say someone has a CADRADS of 1. So it's somewhere between 1 and 24%. Mm -hmm. um, let's say I'm that patient with a 2% stenosis, right? Yep. CADRADS 1, only 2% stenosis. We don't know if it's calcified or uncalcified. So that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Why would I want to have it clearly at the start of this study and it clearly at the end of this study? One year, you could go from 2% to 23% and your CADRADS would be the same. And all of the other parameters would likely be the same, including your calcium score, especially if we're not on a statin. Statins can tend to calcify plaque. And calcified plaque tends to not be unstable plaque, clearly can detect um, it shows you what plaque is of particularly low density, which tends to be less stable. So that's kind of one of the limitations of CADRADS. It doesn't tell you of the non-calcified plaque or soft plaque that you have, what the density or potential stability is. Yeah, I think that's a great example. So if you put yourself in the shoes of someone in the study and you have a 2% that goes to a 23%, that's extremely worrying. But, but there's your, still no change. Your CADRADS doesn't change. So the guideline-driven management wouldn't change until you cross that threshold mm -hmm. into mild coronary artery disease. Yeah. 
So the other parameters that they used to evaluate plaque score, segment involvement score, uh, would these be better? I don't know. I'm going to ask uh, MD on Twitter for uh, uh, explain it like I'm five difference yeah. between CADRADs and this, but I'll hold this up so Dr. Gillette can give his take on these various metrics. So here's the total stenosis. Probably doesn't mean CADRADs, but let's assume that it does. So we're just going to get away with that total stenosis score, keep the CADRADs. CCTA, that's decent, but it depends on how you analyze the CCTA. So we can keep that. Segment involvement score, crap. CAC score for younger individuals, crap. And total plaque, crap. So we're basically just left with the CCTA. So good job for doing those. Yeah, and a test, like you said, is only as useful as the interpretation and subsequent management. All right, so then here we have a chart that they put up. Um, total plaque score, clearly this is not a CADRADS because it goes all the way up to 16. Um, but assuming that this correlates with some volume or it's some formula that goes into plaque, mm -hmm. um, clearly, although most of these patients had no plaque because that's your median, mm -hmm. um, a substantial number of them did have plaque, yep. which is interesting because those are the ones you would expect, or at least I would expect to see progress. If you've already got coronary artery disease, so they already identified people with coronary artery disease that are lean hypermass responders, yep. then you would expect those to have the progression versus someone who has clean coronaries to start. So this is probably the most interesting chart to me and not the one that I see getting shared the most. Yeah, I wish that we knew um, how many of the individuals that do not have any plaque score, so the zero, which is technically the median, and then one would be the median. You can see right there where the halfway mark is, which is 40, what the median score would be. I wish we knew the age of the individuals that were below the median score, because it's likely to be a lot of the younger individuals in the age group, where um, you could also take a, you know, a first quartile mean and median, a second quartile mean and median, a third quartile, mean and median, a fourth quartile, mean and median, and compare those as well. Yeah, it's all about how you do the statistics. There's a expression about that that I, I forget. It's a Mark Twain, right? There's lies, lies, and then statistics. Yes, darn, darn lies. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> uh, and then here's basically, this chart also is what they used to say this, but no correlation between the amount of LDL and the amount of plaque um, if everyone was the same age, you know, perhaps you would expect to see kind of a stepwise correlation where they mm -hmm. move in conjunction with one another. Yep. Uh, same thing here, you know, not really a strong correlation with plaque volume, uh, at least not statistically significant. They control for age, which the more you slice up the data, especially in a small study like this, yep. the more likely you're to get something statistically significant. So maybe that's why they didn't do it. Um, but it'd be interesting and sort of hypothesis provoking to look at a different subgroup analysis like that, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, it's not that particularly hard to do with a small data set. You don't need as much uh, computing power or yep. data analysts to do that. Yeah. And people know what we think about subgroups, subgroup analyses. You have to take all of them with a grain of salt, lower sample size, but they are particularly interesting to look at, partly just because you can take that data, run a much larger study, see if it's repeatable. Just like with this data, they have the 80 disks of the CCTAs. Mm -hmm. It will 80 plus 80. They could run all of those through clearly. And uh, then that would get... cost about 60 grand, which 
for a study of this. I mean, they already had the CCTAs. I don't know what sort of deal they got on their CCTAs, but mm-hmm. they're probably already 50 grand in just getting the initial CCTAs. They've got another set of CCTAs mm-hmm. to run. So they could probably work out a deal with Clearly for you know 100 grand to run before and afters on all of these. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if I was a, a person trying to fund or, or pitch, I would definitely be chatting with Clearly to see what they can do. Yeah, no, it, w- it could be very convincing either way. So maybe that's part of the problem is when you design a study, um, a lot of the job of the statistics individual is to make things statistically significant or not statistically significant. Um, but uh, yeah, I, some people would probably be afraid that the results of the clearly would look, would look too good or too bad. I feel like if this was a, instead of a, a diet and lifestyle that is um, being looked at, if it was a medication, the company could very easily fund hundred grand to do a better analysis of this data. Right, and this is funded by uh, Citizen Science. I'm not quite familiar with the organization, but essentially it's crowdfunding from what yeah. I understand. Yeah, so that's, I guess that's one of the upsides of Big Pharma is they will dump a huge amount of money into anything that is looking at um, a pharmaceutical medication. Um, whereas this is not. So that's part of the reason why the data is not analyzed as well. Yeah, I mean, your PCSK9 trials, they're definitely not seeing a change in CADRAD staging, mm-hmm. but they do have the data sensitive enough to where they can say, hey, we saw a 1% or 3% reduction in percent atheroma volume. Yep. So, I mean, the data is able to be sliced up more finely. Uh, it's just a question of how much funding wants to be dumped into that. So here's the proposed mechanism. So in lean, again, how lean, but metabolically healthy subjects, uh, again, we really want to see the inclusion and exclusion criteria for that. Um, the ketogenic diet is thought to deplete the glycogen in your liver, so hepatic glycogen. And then you have increased VLDL exports. These are the LDLs that carry triglyceride. Low triglycerides tend to have low VLDLs. Uh, but then lipoprotein lipase will break down these particles and release LDLs into circulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the simple version, the way I think about it, even a bit less technical than this graphic here in front of me. But for keeping things simple and easy to digest, that's kind of how I think about it. Yep. And then, of course, if you add a lot of carbs back into the diet, then you'll have more glycogen repletion in the liver and stop that process. Yeah, exactly. Which makes sense. Hence, carbohydrate induction tends to emulate this rise in LDL. And this was a new paper on some older data. Um, this is the Denmark Heart Registry. And mm-hmm. uh, the main talking point here was that even I think some of these patients were confirmed FH. Yep. Um, more than half of them had a CAC of zero. Mm-hmm. Uh, the median age there was 58, interquartile range. So the middle half was 50 to 65. Mm-hmm. So this is used as evidence that hey, not everyone with LDL, it's a problem for, but the CAC is just, it's not sensitive enough for me to bet my life on. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it's sensitive enough for my patients to bet their life on either. Yeah, especially if you're at a younger age. Your your chance of a CAC, and we'll have a a graph that we pop up there, your likelihood of having a calcium score of uh, zero or one uh, age 50 or below is exceedingly high. Um, A few other things about this paper. Um, 
you could say, yes, most of these people have confirmed FH. However, um, likely a lot of them don't, and they were just included because of their lipid scores, their LDL level. So it's an association. If you're a keto dieter for three months before you're entered into this study in Denmark, are you more likely to have, um, you know, significant atherosclerosis or a significant atheroma volume compared to someone that's had FH their entire life? Yeah, probably not. And I, I can't imagine that they did, you know, 11,000 genotypes, uh, almost 12,000 genotypes. Uh, again, we didn't dive into this particular paper. It's just a slide in the presentation. Mm -hmm. uh, but basically they said, hey, if your CAC is positive, even if it's one, then it's associated with that hazard ratio, almost, you know, 400% uh, yep. higher risk of having uh, a myocardial infarction, which yep. is something that should never happen. Yeah. So, I mean, here's the conclusion, which is nothing that we haven't said yet, but they're saying, hey, there's no correlation. And it's not all that different than something I posted probably six months ago, uh, the PROMISE trial, mm -hmm. which kind of set CCTA at the forefront of uh, coronary artery disease management. Um, it's better than a stress test, it's better than standard of care, it, earlier intervention when there is disease, and less detrimental outcomes, less, you know, uh, MACE as we call them, so heart attacks, strokes, tents put in, all these sorts of things. And even in this study, six or seven percent of patients who uh, don't think that a significant number of them were keto dieters, but um, were average BMI of almost 30, average age 57, uh, over half were current or former smokers, and over half had elevated cholesterol, meaning, you know, LDL or ApoB. Um, six or seven percent of those people did not have a speck of plaque on CCTA, although they were high risk by basically many metrics you could look at. Yeah. Um, so those would be an interesting group. There's only three patients, but it would be an interesting group to look at. They've likely had other protective mechanisms, perhaps their age and BMI was lower than average. We could probably look into the uh, data and figure that out a bit more. But um, I guess another thousand foot view on that would be if you have any plaque on a CCTA or any calcium score, then it's worth looking at more if you want to um, have reasonably aggressive preventive medicine. Yeah. Now let's go ahead and build out our, I'm going to pull a notepad down here. Let's look at our checklist for who, because really the, the aim of the study is to say that not everyone who has high LDL should worry about it. Um, I think the figure is 90% or above. So if you have an LDL that's substantially elevated, just draw a line in the sand at like say 130 or an ApoB above 90, yep. it's probably something that's worth considering at least the impact on your health for the vast majority of people. So just mm -hmm. say 90%, just throwing a number out there. But if you have all these things, so I think the most important uh, one would be access to CCTA. Yep. That's important. Preferably a clearly a CCTA with Plus subsequent clearly analysis. Clearly. Yep. So that's, that's probably a, we call it a $1,500 investment. Two, uh, BMI, let's just use BMI because everyone has access to that. Let's say it's a BMI less than 25. Hmm. Mine's 27, so... Mine is also 27, yeah. so I'm also out of luck. Uh, three, HDL, and I think they stepped this back so 60. it was greater than 60. And then you have four, your triglycerides are below 
what was the cutoff? 70, then they moved it to 80. 80. Yeah. Um, and then uh, let's see here. I mean, I don't know that they mentioned this, but let's just say CRP, uh, normal blood pressure. Yep. Um, no nicotine use. So six. Pack years less than five. And not within 15 years. So a normal CRP. And then they had metabolically healthy. So this is an interesting one. I, I've seen mm -hmm. some medical doctors claim that you cannot tell if someone is metabolically healthy without hooking them up to a you know hyper uh, insulinemic clamp study without having insulin going in one arm and glucose going in the other. Mm -hmm. But I think we can get a pretty good idea based on things like HOMA IR, fasting insulin, fasting mm -hmm. glucose, and A1C. I think if you put all of those things together, you get a pretty good idea of who is or is not insulin resistant. Yeah. Um, and that's what a lot of people mean when they say metabolically healthy. Mm -hmm. um, now, you can be not insulin resistant and have a ton of inflammation going on from autoimmune disease, and that may perturb your metabolic health. But most people using this term, they're talking about avoiding the signs of metabolic syndrome, which tend to correlate with insulin resistance, yep. blood pressure, and all these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. So metabolically healthy is the one that you probably won't get a lab with a fasting insulin on it from your primary. So you have to have access to that testing, yep. which you can get many places, including our website. We have pre-built out panels there so that everything can be interpreted in context with other metrics. We don't sell just single lab values by itself. Yep. Um, so what else should be on that checklist? As part of metabolically healthy, I'd say for males, body fat on a DEXA, less than 15%. For females, less than 23%, um, which you can be relatively healthy at higher body fats, but this is in the context of um, heavy hyperlipidemia. Because normally, metabolically healthy means you don't have hyperlipidemia. And then HOMA IR below 2 um, I could throw in there LPIR below 45. That would be an interesting one to analyze because low trigs does help your LPIR score be driven down. Um, we mentioned CRP, no autoimmune disease, certainly no rheumatologic like disease. Psoriatic arthritis, we know those patients are much more likely um, to develop plaques, develop coronary yep. artery disease, have a heart attack downstream, yep. and that's true for rheumatoid arthritis yep. as well. May as well exclude the large percentage of people that have high lipoprotein little a genetically. So that's, uh, you know, one in four. So I actually didn't see a mention of this in their presentation. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's a mention of that in the, you know, supplementary data or when mm -hmm. they put inclusion and exclusion criteria. Because if they're taking the blood samples and the time to genotype all these patients, mm -hmm. then you would think that they would also check Order for a LP $6 dollar test, yeah. Yeah. So no LP little a. Past this, depending on what the family history is, you could argue little to no family history, unless it's, um, you know, just if it's one individual and it is very more easily attributable to lifestyle, then that could be an exception, but no significant family history of yeah. ASCBD. Yeah, and no FH. So in familial hypercholesterolemia, we know that the glycocalyx is thinner. Whether or not that is just a, a fact that a factor that occurs due to the elevations in LDL, or whether there's something genetically where their glycocalyx is a bit inferior, and mm -hmm. I'm not sure that that's been teased out. Mm -hmm. uh, but that would be an interesting metric because you could actually measure the glycocalyx in these patients when they're on their keto diet versus introducing carbohydrates. No, it doesn't have to be Oreos. You could get the same effect with some berries, getting equivalent mm -hmm. carbohydrates. Uh, but 
that'd be another interesting metric to look at. Uh, probably not necessary except from a novelty standpoint like I'd be interested to see the data myself mm -hmm. uh, but I think you go down all these things and if you don't have the access to you know a CCTR clearly then you should probably just bet on the side of being proactive I mean certainly this is what happens in most cardiology offices uh, if I send a patient to a cardiologist the cardiologist is going to say well we can get a stress test and that's going to miss basically everybody that doesn't have a 70% or greater stenosis. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, what is a person left to do? Wait until they get a 70% stenosis to do something? That's why a lot of times it does make sense to go ahead and get that CCTA. And like we mentioned, for a very small percent of people, so I don't know, 5% of high-risk people, for some reason they don't have plaque when you do a CCTA. And if I see no evidence that the LDL is being pathologic, causing any plaque buildup, then I'm not inclined to modify that. Now, that doesn't mean that someone had it clearly, let's say, four or five years ago, and then now their LDL is triple that level. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm still going to go back and check because, again, you don't want to bet your life on old data. You don't want to get the home inspection yep. report from five or ten years ago. You want a new one. I think I stole that from you. Yeah, um, that's the way that I look at it. Another I guess criteria you could say is, okay, these individuals are low carb or keto dieters, but are they consuming a lot of, they're probably consuming mostly whole foods, but you certainly wouldn't want to consume a lot of processed foods because a lot of things like high amounts of trans fat are a part of a ketogenic diet. Yeah. And I, I think um, actually Thomas DeLauer shared this paper where people ate uh, an amount of beef, I forget if it was four ounces or eight ounces, but mm -hmm. then um, they saw that endothelial function was impaired with a pure beef meal. Mm -hmm. Now, when they ate that beef with avocado, that effect was eliminated. You know, mm -hmm. They still had sufficient endothelial function. You know, it, it was not affected because there's some beneficial you know, plant chemicals in the avocado and getting some fiber and you know, offsetting some of the yeah. oxidative stress that like a fat bolus, or for that matter, a sugar bolus can cause. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there is there are some streaks of data there where it looks like eating just ground beef all day every day might not be the optimal diet for humans. Would you rather eat a diet that is pure ultra-processed keto snacks or a vegetarian diet that's whole foods and tasty? You have a private chef prepare it for you. And I can still have a high protein content in the vegetarian diet. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going with the vegetarian diet. Yeah, I would too. Although Quest bars are tasty, I don't think I could live off them. Yeah, um, probably not. Um, I would have a lot of concerns for my gut as well if I was having <laughs> Quest bars all day. Well, that's kind of a, a fun way to wrap things up. Do we have any other closing thoughts to add? I don't believe so. Um, Questions and comments are always appreciated. They help the algorithm and we will do our best to respond to them whenever the full paper comes out or maybe we'll do a Q&A episode. Maybe we'll talk a bit more about our regimens and what we've done for um, our lipids in the past, both from like a lipoprotein that lay standpoint, an ApoB standpoint, an LDL cholesterol standpoint, as this study <laughs> says. Um, but uh, yeah, we appreciate all of your time. Yep. Thank you for watching. May God bless you with health and happiness.